This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona, sitting in for your host, Khalil Ekulona. Years ago, when my husband was teaching middle school, the principal came to him with a problem. The way the schedule was working out, some of the kids Chuck had for Spanish would need to come back to him for another special subject. So was there anything else he could teach? His solution was a crash course in practical money skills like budgeting, balancing a checking account, and understanding how credit cards work. He had a blast doing it, but only for a few years. And well, who knows if anyone is still teaching those kinds of lessons. And that's the thing, right? All too often, we're left on our own to suss out how to handle things related to money. Well, today we've got a Citizen Nashville episode with a panel of experts to answer your money questions. But first, Tennessee is now the first state in the country to restrict drag shows. The law goes into effect at the start of next month. WPLN's Mariana Bacchiao has been following the story and is here to talk more about the future of the state's drag scene. Thanks for being here, Mariana. Thanks for having me. And welcome back to This is Nashville. (laughs) So people tend to call this law a drag show ban, but there is some nuance to it. What kind of drag is not allowed under the law? Yeah, the law specifies that drag isn't allowed anywhere a minor might see it. So that's essentially any drag in public. You know, think outdoor performances, parades, or drag queen story hour events. That's where drag performers sometimes dress up as fairy tale characters and read books to kids. All of that now exists in this legal gray area because one of the only ways you can guarantee a minor won't see a performance if it's at an indoor club. So advocates fear that this will force Tennessee's drag scene underground. Okay, you call it a gray area, but where does that uncertainty come from? Well, A lot of people in the LGBTQ community are worried about the subjectivity of this law. The word drag isn't actually in the bill. Instead, it calls these shows adult cabaret, which doesn't really apply to most drag shows. It also specifies no nudity, sexual conduct or excess violence. Drag shows don't really have any of that explicit content, which is already covered by pre-existing obscenity laws. The legislation has been amended several times since it was first introduced, so it's not as overtly targeting drag. Kathy Sinback, head of the ACLU, says that she wants performers to know that drag is not actually illegal under this law. But we also want them to know that there are people who want to enforce this illegally. And people have to make their own decisions about um, what they're comfortable doing when they know that there are forces out there that are are hateful against them. And if the law is enforced beyond those obscenity laws already on the books, the ACLU says it will bring a case against the state, but it has no plans to sue unless it's used to prosecute a drag queen or used to shut down a family-friendly LGBTQ event. But to Simbach's point, drag performers are worried. You know, no one wants to put themselves in that position where they could be prosecuted. A second offense would make it a felony, and that comes with disenfranchisement, and a lot of performers just aren't willing to lose the right to vote. So it sounds like outdoor drag would be a clear violation of this new law. And that's going to be hard during Pride festivals, and that's coming up in June. How will this law affect those those gatherings around the state? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Pride Month. You know, new laws usually go into effect on July 1st, but this bill was quietly amended to take effect 
April 1st. So we will start seeing changes to Pride this year. Nashville Pride organizers tell me their event is still on. The main event usually is a concert anyway. I mean, it is Music City. So they say they're not sure right now what exactly will be different this Pride, but they don't see any big changes to its celebrations. But that's not the case for every Pride. Franklin is outright canceling its Pride, and other Pride festivals across the state have faced obstacles even before this law was signed. Several city governments have denied permits for Pride after Republican politicians began rallying against drag shows this past fall. Pride organizers in Knoxville previously threatened to cancel their festival if the ban passed, but they tell me that was more to bring awareness to the issue. Uh, They now say they will have a Pride Festival, but it will likely be a march in protest rather than a parade. You know, the first Pride was a riot and drag queens were instrumental in the fight for LGBTQ rights. So Knox Pride organizers say they're really returning to their roots and focusing on advocacy this Pride. What's the economic impact? Nashville's tourism could take a hit. I mean, drag brunches are very popular. And, you know, Music City's infamous fleet of party vehicles includes a drag queen specific bus. Altogether, we're talking about millions of dollars in tax revenue for the state. Now, it's hard to say how much this industry will be affected since indoor bars should still be viable venues under the new law. But it does create an atmosphere of uncertainty for drag performers. Well, then how are people reacting to that uncertainty? There is also a fear that the broad language of the bill could open the door to criminalizing transgender people. The law refers to drag performers as, quote, male or female impersonators. Mm. Advocates worry that could apply to trans people just existing in public. It could also apply to trans and non-binary musicians who are just performing as themselves on stage. Our senior music writer, Julie Height, will be taking a more in-depth look at that next week. Uh, T-Pac could also be caught in the crosshairs. They have Hairspray and Mrs. Doubtfire on their lineup for this season, and both shows involve some form of cross-dressing. For now, it seems like T-Pac is not changing their season, and lawmakers don't seem too concerned with drag in these instances. LGBTQ advocates fear that cross-dressing as a joke for a straight audience will be safe, and once it crosses over into sincerity or is used as a genuine form of gender expression, it will be policed. Well, Tennessee's ban on drag in public spaces goes into effect April 1st, and WPLN's Mariana Bacchiao will continue to follow that story as it plays out. You can look for those stories at WPLN.org. Thanks for being here, Mariana. Thanks for having me. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we're bringing you a citizen at Nashville all about personal finance. What questions do you have for our, finan- for our financial experts? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Cardona, and this is Citizen Nashville. 
We've talked a lot here at WPLN News about how to serve you, our communities, better. So a few times a month, we're bringing you a special hour we're calling Citizen Nashville. Our goal is to answer your questions, round up resources for you, and make sure our leaders hear your needs loud and clear. Today, we're talking about personal finances. You know, an internet search for the term budget anxiety turns up more than 63 million results. But that's not really surprising, is it? I mean, when you think about what stresses people out, money is always near the top of the list. And it's so easy to get to the end of a pay period and wonder where it all went. So let's talk about it. What should we be thinking about when we set up a household budget? And how do you even get started? To help us answer those questions and set us up with some practical advice, I'm joined by Candace Harris, Vice President at Citizens Bank and an expert in financial literacy. And Samantha Tidwell is a diligent and detailed household budgeter. Thanks to you both for joining us and welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for having us. Samantha, how did you get started with keeping such close track of your finances? Samantha, do we have you? You know what? We'll just, uh, we're going to work on getting that connection with Samantha. So, so Candace, when someone is overwhelmed and confused and doesn't know where to start with managing their finances, what is that first step? What do you tell them? So I think first step is take the shame out of it. That's number one, because money is so personal. Mm-hmm. So let's first say, hey, you're not alone. I like to pull up stats. And I like to also share my personal story. Hey, you're not alone. I'm in the business. And I also struggle with some of the, the same things that you struggle with. So that's number one. I would say number two is let's take a look at your habits. Um, I always ask people, do you look at your statements every 30 days? They're like, eh, no, I just spend. And when I get paid again, I just spend and do what I, I'm, I'm used to doing. However, when I go through line item by line item, we start to see some patterns. And if it's not in alignment with your goals, that's the number one way to say, okay, we found something that we can fix. Samantha, how did you get started with keeping a really close track of your finances? What what was that kind of trigger moment for you? Yeah, so we had a planned job ending and an unplanned job ending um, suddenly uh, in about a month or two after we bought a fixer upper home. Um, and we had to look at all of our bills and say, okay, which one should get paid this month? Because we didn't have a way to pay them. We didn't, the concept of an emergency fund was not anything that we had been overtly taught. Um, we were pretty much just getting a paycheck and just like she was just explaining, spending it all on things. Did anybody talk to you when you were growing up about how to handle finances? I know that my parents uh, paid the IRS monthly until I was 18. And they told me, don't mess with the IRS. That was it. Um, (laughs) My husband had no, uh, like no overt education about finances. Candace, how common is that to to hear, have people come in and say, you know, I just... I really don't know where I'm where I'm starting. Oh, very common. It, it's it's the number one thing I hear all the time. And it's, it's interesting that we go to institutions and colleges and, and get a great education to go work these jobs. But those same institutions aren't teaching us how to be adults and, and work the processes and work and work what we need to do to bridge generational, you know, gaps and to reach whatever wealth goal we have. Um, but we're, we're taught how to go work the job, but not what to do to build. So Samantha, where did you start? 
but well, I got a few jobs. <laughs> um, I had just actually, she just mentioned that, like I have a master's degree. Um, I had just graduated within six months. Um, so I was willing to work all the jobs I could. So, um, for a couple of years, I actually had three to four jobs, uh, at any given time, one full time, and then like two to three part-time jobs. Um, I was actually fortunate. I was able to work enough that I could pay the minimums on everything. And I learned real quick, which companies you could call, including like, um, medical and they will allow you to pay less on each bill until you can pay more or will allow you to do um, like a delayed payment based on your income. And our income was so awful that we always got approved for those when they were available at that time. So it sounds like when this all kind of started out for you, Samantha, you had a clear priority in that you had bought this house, this fixture up or something needed to happen to keep, not just to keep a roof over your head, but make sure that roof wasn't, you know, continuing to crumble and fall. <laughs> um, yeah. Candace, when somebody is, is starting in this situation, how important is it for them to, to find these like priority things and, and kind of build around that? So I always tell the story of going to the ATM, pulling out money, and then at the end of the day, week, or maybe in a couple of hours, wondering what, what did I do with that money I just took out of the ATM? And so that is literally an example of what happens when you don't have a plan. And so I always say, be strategic about where you put your money, because if you don't assign it to a place, it, it will go. It'll, it'll just leave. It's not going to stay there. You'll always find something to spend on it. But your job pays you, but then you assign where it goes to reach the goals that you're trying to reach. You know, money can cause a lot of stress and strain, especially in relationships. Samantha, when you found yourself in that tough situation, what were those conversations like with your husband? So they were interesting. Um, we, uh, for lack of a better words, randomly got married one day. Um, <laughs> and we had not talked about income. He did not know anything about my student loans, which are significant. Um, and like what she's, what the other guest is talking about, which is like essentially a zero based budget. We had no concept of that. Um, so we, it, initially it was awful because we had to decide what things were not going to be like what extras like gym memberships, um, subscriptions, which ones are not going to be held onto, which ones are. And if it's mine, I want that, not him. And he feels the same way. And so it was, um, it was pretty awful <laughs> in the beginning. Candace, what are some of the pitfalls that you see with couples when they're struggling to get on the same page about saving and spending and I think she pointed it out very well. Just not having the conversation, period. <laughs> You're in love, you know. <laughs> but, you know, money, it, it, I think there's a, a stat that says it can cause divorce at whatever year. I mean, it's the number one leading cause in divorces is finances and marriages. Um, and I think another pitfall is not treating savings like an expense. We pay our bills because we have to. If you don't pay the lights, they're going to be turned off. You should treat reaching your goals the same way. So I don't treat my savings as an option. I treat it as an actual expense. Everyone's situation, of course, is a little different. Everything's personal. But I'm curious, are there any kind of tried and true formulas that are kind of a starting point for having that conversation about here, here's where we're going to allocate the money? I would say there's no tried and true way because everyone is different. 
Um, I know what has worked for me. I know what has worked for some of the clients I've worked with. And one is going through your statements every month, because what I do is I lead you to see your own patterns. I don't tell you, you, you know, you've done this because that feels a lot like shame. I let you see your own ways. And then you're like, well, I, it's not that I don't have enough. It's I've spent in a wrong category. Um, and then I think the other thing is a budget should not feel restrictive. It should feel more empowering. It should feel like I know where my money is going. So I know what I'm able and capable of doing. I know what, I, what goals I'm capable of achieving. So I, I really think it starts with mindset and then whatever works for that person, whether that's a spreadsheet, whether it's the envelope system, um, th there's several systems you can use. Um, discipline and mindset honestly comes first. If you're just tuning in, this is Citizen Nashville and I'm Nina Cardona sitting in for your host, Khalil Aguilona. We're talking about budgets and getting a handle on your household finances. You know, one thing that can be frustrating is that a budget is never going to be just set it and forget it because the economy is always changing and the situation in your own household is changing and your household needs to evolve. Samantha, how have you been noticing the effects of inflation on your budget? Well, so we've been budgeting at least weekly for the last five years. And so before we had our daughter, I know we were spending $500 a month on um, food and cleaning materials, house stuff. I mean, it slowly it started to creep up as, as we had a child and she started eating. And then in the last year, we are just like, we're having like weekly conversations about how can we stop this? Like, how can we get our grocery budget lower? Um, I mean, we've made some pretty drastic changes and that's been helpful. Uh, but it's just, I, I, I literally know exactly how much things cost last year or two years ago. And so the, the costs have gone up and makes it harder. Candice, do you have any tips for adjusting to handle those kind of pressures and changes? Yeah, I'm right there with Samantha. Um, buying in bulk, um, your Sam's and your your Sam's memberships will definitely come into play or wherever you buy in bulk. Um, frozen goods might be something you lean more into, but groceries has been the number one um, stressor for, for my customers as well. Um, so what do you tell them when they come in and say, I'm, I'm so stressed out about this? And is it also something where you need to look at kind of other parts of the budget and Kind of rejigger some things. Yeah, it's it's rarely um, a not enough issue. It's reallocating the priorities. So we got to eat. You know, you have to go get groceries and you have to put gas in your car you, to commute to your job. So maybe those subscriptions, taking a look at that. I mean, there's so many apps out there that will tell you, hey, you have X amount of subscriptions prioritizing. Um, do you need that Netflix subscription? Do you need that gym subscription? Um so just really thinking, okay, priorities and readjusting. Samantha, can you kind of walk me through kind of step by step how you think about those priorities, how, how you make your monthly budget? Oh, we literally have a step by step. Um, so, yeah, I know exactly. Well, we every Sunday, my husband and I sit down for an hour, like right after breakfast, and we literally go through our weekly budget to make sure it's meeting our monthly goals. And just like she's explaining, that's what we've kind of figured out, uh, we have 12 different savings categories. We have 12 different additional like checking accounts and every month, um, for our car fixing account, $50 goes in, um, every month for the garbage fund, 
$20 goes in because every quarter, $65 needs to get paid. So that's how we plan ahead for known expenses. Um, really like the biggest thing that kills us is that like, for example, we didn't have electricity for over 24 hours. So we had about $250 worth of food Mm. that we had to throw away Mm -hmm. on Saturday. And we were like, no, this is going to just mess everything up. And then my husband's like, wait, March is a three paycheck month for me. So, you know, that's going to help us. But those, those like kinks and like, uh, our house was not destroyed at all, but like, we have some issues outside from the wind and we're like, how are, so we're like, do we call help? Like our homeowners insurance? Do we try to fix it ourselves? Like, what do we do? Is that going to be five grand? Is it going to be one? So those are the things that really kind of mess us up is when there's these huge unexpected expenses over a thousand dollars. It sounds like though, that having that appointment to sit down and talk is really key for you. If we don't do that, it is without a doubt, we are going to overspend. Um, I will go on Amazon. My daughter will need this thing. She will have to have it. But that happens like three or four times in the month. And so that really messes us up. Or um, my husband will want, you know, a certain brand of something at the grocery store. And those like pre-made things, they, they get expensive. You know, even Oreos are like $5. I mean, that could be a $20 expense every month. That's a lot. So um, we really have to sit down to help each other to be accountable. Candace, I'm seeing a lot of smiles and nods over here. <laughs> what, are, what are you thinking as you hear somebody have to say these things? So that appointment is so necessary. <clears throat> Another step too that I do when I'm sitting down with my husband and going over our budget is a lot of people run from auto debit and I totally get it. So if you are manually uh, managing your money, Having it chronologically listed out on when it comes out versus when your income actually hits, I call that a cash flow calendar. That could be a game changer, too, because week to week, your cash flow can be different. So if you're hitting, getting some, you know, if you're getting your income on the 1st and the 15th and you have you're more heavy on your expenses the first two weeks of the month versus the last you are able to have a little flexibility in what you can pay for. You may not go to the grocery store that first two weeks and spend the larger amount. You might wait until your cash flow is a little bit better. So also looking at looking at when things hit, um, when those expenses are due, can help you also better plan. Now, both of you have touched a little bit on saving. Candace, how important is it to prioritize saving even as that cost of living keeps rising? It's not an option. You have to do it. Um, And and I I know people will say, well, savings aren't really, the interest rates are like 0.01%. People rate shop, but then it's also good, even if you have your money set aside and it's not earning that much, just having it set aside, you're 10 steps ahead of of a lot of folks. So it's really a non-negotiable. What is your advice for not just making a savings plan, but sticking to it? Great question. So make it make it to where it's not accessible. I think sometimes we we fall into the, the I'm going to put it aside. Uh, I'll have it at the and you can have it at the same bank if you're disciplined enough. But I usually say put it somewhere where it's not as easy for you to do the, the transfer. I call it the, the, the transfer where it's like, oh, I'm just going to take this out and I'll put it back and we never put it back. I, I, I think the best way is to have it come out of your direct deposit. So set it up with your employer. Don't rely on yourself. Let it go directly from how you get paid straight into that savings vehicle and out of sight, out of mind. 
Samantha, you mentioned you've got, what is it, a dozen kind of pots that you're putting into for yes. savings. What has More. worked for you to make sure that you hold to that and that you, you really, you know, save the way you mean to? Yeah. We have like each one is, is named. Um, like we have, like she was saying, you have to save. Um, when we did not have an emergency fund, when I say that we had $3,500 emergencies constantly, I mean, it, it, it's insane. Like to even think of the things that happened while I was pregnant, hmm. like how can everything break at one time? But so, uh, once we had our daughter, we had paid off our debt. We were like, the only thing we cared about was having an emergency fund because we have, we had both experienced not having a job and not knowing how to pay for things. And now we had another human to care for. So we were like, this has to happen. Once we got our, we have a six month emergency fund. Um, it was the most exciting thing ever. And now like, even though yes, having that random cash in an ally account doesn't do a lot, but we make a hundred dollars a month from just that because from the interest. And so that's amazing. Cause six years ago, we weren't even saving a hundred dollars a month for anything. So, um, I mean, that's been huge for us. When people are having a hard time looking at the bills and then saying, yeah, but I do also need to save like Candace, what do you tell people about how to approach the, those kind of trade-offs that have to kind of be made at least emotional and, and mental trade-offs in those moments? I think for, if you, it depends on how bad do you want it sometimes. I mean, and knowing yourself and being honest with yourself for me, I know I'm going to go out to eat <laughs> even after I've gone grocery shopping but my goals have changed now. I mean, I, I had a, a baby during the pandemic. And so and I was laid off as well. Like Samantha said, that'll that'll change you and jolt you in a minute where you're like, I never want to feel this vulnerable ever again um, without that safety net. I think the best way is to be honest with yourself. I have nothing to prove other than I know I have a goal to reach. And in, by any means, I want to make sure I get it done. So if I'm honest with myself, I'm not disciplined. So if I know I'm not disciplined, what can I set up to to get around that? And and like I said, what I've done is my savings come directly out of my direct deposit. My employer, I've set it up through my employer system and I never see it because if you're depending on me to actually do it, it's either going to get done and I'm going to go back and dip in it. So the best way there's is to take the shame out of it and say, hey, I know this is my pitfall. So this is what I'm going to do to get around it. And, and at some point, if I exercise this muscle enough, I'll get better. Sounds like it's coming down to honesty about yourself. Absolutely. Uh, Samantha, when you're paying off the bills and those moments come and you're, you're tempted to maybe take some time off from saving or cut down on how much you set aside, what, what do you tell yourself? What works for you to say, no, I'm going to hold the line? Well, we will just, we, we like, we always have some kind of goal. Um, we were saving for a new kitchen. We have a hundred year old house. So we had an original kitchen. It was awful. So we saved for two years, we refinanced and we finally were able to get a new kitchen. And now we're like, okay, we got that. Now what? We were able to start having a gym membership again, like every month. And so that has really helped the two of us because we, it was something that we always loved having, but it didn't financially make sense because we had other, um, just thing debt that we needed to pay. So now we're like, oh, we're finally back at the gym. We have a new kitchen. 
you know, and so now we're like, oh, well, both of us could use new phones. So let's start saving for that. So we're, we went through how much can we save? We can save 20 to $30. So that's what we're doing. We have a goal. And, you know, so that's like how we go about things. Like for us, restaurants, not a huge deal. So that's a very small amount that we save every month because we'd rather just cook and kind of hang out at home. Well, that was diligent home budgeter, Samantha Tidwell. Thank you so much for being here. Candace Harris will stick with us through the break. When we come back, the experts answer your financial questions about everything from retirement planning to teaching kids about money. And it's not too late to ask your question. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Nina Cardona, and this is Citizen Nashville. So much of financial planning is about being ready for the unknown, setting aside money just in case there's a costly accident or estimating how much you'll need to live on after you retire. But the ins and outs of things like budgeting and saving don't have to be a mystery. We've got experts on hand to answer your questions. And if you've got something you'd like to ask, let us know. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. I'd like to introduce my next guests. Bill Parker is director of the Tennessee Financial Literacy Commission. And Aaron Akery is senior manager of United Way's Financial Empowerment Center. Thank you both for being here. And welcome to This Is Nashville. Thanks for having me. Erin, what kind of services do the Financial Empowerment Center offer? So we offer no-cost, one-on-one financial counseling for anyone who lives or works in Davidson County. Um, Financial counseling essentially entails working on all things related to personal finance. We do a lot of credit counseling, a lot of budgeting work, um, cash flow work, money management we help people build their savings, um, reduce their debt, et cetera. Bill, the Financial Literacy Commission works all over the state. What kind of challenges do people share with you? That's right, Nina. And, you know, our primary focus is on trying to find ways to get financial literacy education uh, incorporated in the school systems throughout the state. So our focus is primarily on the K through eight space and finding ways to incorporate it in um, you know, school, school-based school outlets, the classroom, forward after school programs, et cetera. Um, and really the number one thing we hear is, you know, why isn't there more of this taught in the schools? Um, many people ask, you know, um, you know or, or just let us know this wasn't available when I was in school. So, um, you know, primarily it's just a matter of finding ways to get it uh, in front of more students across the state. All right. Well, let's dig into these questions. If you've ever eaten at the farmer's market in Nashville, Kiana Stone is one of the people who keeps it so nice and clean. But she has said that due to inflation, coming up with a balanced budget has felt impossible. But because of uh, the prices of gas, the prices of food, the um, health insurance, I have no budgeting plan. Uh, It's more like a survival plan. Um, but again, yeah, I, I have no budgeted plan. I, I'm what the old people say, robbing Peter to pay Paul. So at this point, that's why I'm at. Aaron, what resources are available to help Kiana? 
Well, I think, you know, if she were to meet with a counselor, we would probably want to dig through her financial situation with a fine tooth comb and see if there are places where she could access potentially a supportive service. She might be able to um, look into some kind of assistance depending on her situation. But there are also ways to generate income or increase income that she may not um, be aware of. There are things that might be coming out of her paycheck that we could look at with her and figure out if um, maybe she's paying in too much or maybe she has excess insurances that we could cancel. Um, there's a lot of things that we like to look at and kind of nitpick when it comes to personal finance. So that's something I would encourage her to do. Candace Harris from Citizens Bank is still with us. Candace, what would you tell to, uh, what would you tell Kiana? I think sometimes people feel like they're on a hamster wheel and it may be easier just to stay on there instead of having to dig in because digging in actually it, it takes a lot of work. And so just like when you go to the gym, having a trainer helps you be accountable. And I think just like Samantha said, like having someone say, hey, let me hold your hand. Let me show you this is what we can do. These are your options. Having that piece of accountability will help her understand you actually have more options than you think. Um, so it's not necessarily a, a situation where she can't actually come out of it. I mean, it sounds like there's there's an, a real emotional component too to to be ready to face things head on. I mean, how do you help people just kind of take that first like mental step of going, okay, no, I really am going to kind of lay it all out. Well, we do call it financial counseling for a reason. So <laughs> there is a lot of talk about you know, the family situation you might have grown up in, how you were taught to handle money or not handle money, and really just digging into past behaviors and working through why certain habits exist can help people to develop new ones just to kind of see, you know, there is a different way and there is a reason why you're making these decisions and maybe we can look into exploring other ones. You know, money can be kind of a taboo topic, as well, which means that not everyone's talking about planning a budget around the dinner table. Nick Cheres wants to know more about how young people are being taught about the subject. About preparing uh, maybe the future and today's generation and tomorrow's generation um, for their future, like in regards to investments and how to invest and how to save your money and, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, I think that we don't teach that and maybe that should be implemented at some point. Okay, Bill, I know this is a topic you are passionate about. How important is it for kids to understand how money works? Absolutely. And it's extremely important. And the research, there's there's been some research out that shows uh, out of the University of Cambridge that suggests that many of our habits and attitudes around money are set by age seven. Um, so things like planning ahead or budgeting or delaying gratification um, all of these things are habits and attitudes that we develop in childhood that we in turn carry into our adult lives. Uh, so it's important that, you know, we as parents, uh, you know, begin intentionally having conversations around uh, financial education or our, our family finances. But also, you know, not every parent has been properly equipped to, to be able to discuss these things. Maybe they don't feel comfortable or or. Um, or competent to be able to share. Maybe they feel, as uh, Candace has mentioned, some a, a bit of shame about how they've kind of operated their their finances in the past. 
And so, it, as you mentioned, it becomes a bit of a taboo topic. What um, you're saying, age seven? I mean, that that's so young. What is it that um, you can go ahead and be in? What is the important thing to be instilling at that age? You know, five, six before you get to age seven. Yeah. So uh, you know, the, the there's some information out by the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau that talks about the building blocks of financial capability, and it references executive function, uh, financial habits and uh, norms, financial knowledge and decision-making. All of these things kind of begin at an early age. So for example, uh, with executive function, um, you know, this is the, the, uh, the ability to plan ahead or focus attention, remember information, and also financial habits and norms begin early on in developing these sort of rules of thumb uh, to, to live by. But essentially the most important thing is just to be able to mention these things, to open up lines of communication so that as students are watching or, 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 or children are watching um, and learning from the behaviors of their parents or their caregivers or, or their media, social media and peers, that they're able to sort of um, uh, understand that, that there are right ways uh, to go about making these decisions if you have the proper information. So what kind of educational resources does the commission offer for kids? Yeah, so we have a, a suite of resources that we've curated to make available to all schools throughout the state. Um, with And we spent careful attention in, in working with educators uh, and, and school districts to understand what barriers prevent financial literacy from becoming a more important topic to cover. Uh, and so we have programs such as a classroom behavioral management system that we sponsor across the state that has students in classrooms, you know, working, um, you know, uh, they have jobs in the classroom and, and with those jobs, they, they get sort of monopoly money type of a paycheck associated with that. So it's developing financial responsibility. And then there's also a behavioral management component um, where teachers can offer bonuses and fines based on um, you know, how they want to uh, reward positive behavior or preclude some of that uh, you know, negative classroom behaviors, things, uh, classroom rules and things like that. We also have digital financial literacy platforms that we make available at no cost across the state. Um, and we do professional development um, you know, all, all the time for teachers to help them learn about our resources and how to best implement them uh, given their limited time in the classroom. And we partner with some other great agencies like uh, the Tennessee State Museum. Uh, we've created a financial literacy traveling trunk that's really innovative uh, and well-received across the state. Uh, and also a partnership with UT Extension for Money Week, which has uh, schools designating a full week to learning about personal finances uh, through reading children's literature books. And then the teachers then conduct uh, money lessons around the themes of these books. Um, so it's really innovative. Um, and, and, and these programs are again designed to, uh, to be available for teachers, uh, regardless of the amount of time that they have with the students. And really, um, you know, without regard to their level of expertise. They don't have to be an expert. Uh, you know, they don't have to have a certified financial planner designation to be able to teach and sprinkle in these important uh, topics in the classroom. Well, speaking of kids, balancing a budget can be especially challenging for parents like Soraya Douglas. 
My question would be like how to balance planning for the future, but also, you know, living, for lack of better words, your best life now. Like, how do you just balance out, like, planning for the future, making sure you have enough in retirement and, like, savings for, like, kids and big purchases, and then also, like, you know, living your, your you know, having entertainment in the current, like, present moment. Yeah. Candace, what would you say to her? So I smiled when I heard that question because I literally rewarded myself with Beyonce tickets. I was going to go to this concert, but I was only going to do so after I... I did what I had to do financially for my family and for my budgeting. And so I knew that's something that I wanted. So I geared up and I got ready for it. I made sure that I wasn't taking from my savings. I made sure that I budgeted down to where, okay, I put this X amount of dollars in savings. This is what I have to put towards these tickets so that I can go. Um, I don't want to take away from another category because that goal doesn't go away just because Beyonce is coming in town, even though some people would <laughs> may disagree with that. Um, but I, it was a priority, but only a reward after focusing on my goals. And so I would always say still align it with okay, I'm going to live my best life. Um, it's interesting because Samantha and I was talking about how we live in a culture of right now. We see it on Instagram. Everything is luxurious. And of course, we only show the best parts. We don't show how we got it. We don't show if it's debt. Um, and so because we're in that type of culture, I feel that sometimes we are rushed into, I got to have it now versus let me plan for getting it when I can afford it and actually enjoy it without feeling the regret of purchase. Uh, I call it purchasing regret. Aaron, how do you talk to, to folks when they bring up that issue like Sarai did? Yeah, a lot of our clients wonder, you know, why am I working so hard? I don't feel like I can enjoy my paychecks. I'm not living my, quote, best life now. And there are some harsh realities around that phrase because this might not be the time in life where you can really live it up. This may be the time where you're cinching your belts a bit, where you've got young kids maybe in daycare, you've got a mortgage and rent. You know, there are certain stages in our lives where you have a lot of things pooling on your income, and that might not be the time where you're going to do a lot of splurging on items and fiance tickets <laughs> and things like that that aren't necessary. And I think keeping top of mind that retirement and your future, like Candace said earlier, that is a necessity, just like paying your mortgage is. But some of those other expenses that are entertainment-based really are not needs necessarily. So it's really important that we just have perspective about where we're at in our lives right now and how it's not always going to be this way. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm Nina Cardona sitting in for your host, Khalil Ekulona. This hour is a Citizen Nashville episode answering your questions about personal finances. Next, Ernest Boy has a question about how to plan for retirement. I'm a school teacher, so as a state employee, I have my retirement fund through the state plus a 401k. Is there a better way for me to invest my money, or should I just leave it where it's at so it'll mature until I retire? Aaron? Great question. Well, I have to preface by saying I'm not a licensed investment advisor. However, I am a big fan of a Roth option. So if you have a Roth option at work, I'm almost always, I would say 90% of the time, going to recommend that you use that. 
If not, I'm a proponent of opening a Roth IRA, just an individual retirement account outside of anything that your work is sponsoring. And the great thing about Roth is that your dollars grow tax-free. There will never be a tax on the money that you take out of a Roth IRA. So it's a very powerful retirement planning tool. You know, for any of us, how, how can we know if we are setting aside enough for retirement? I mean, is there any kind of rule of thumb to keep in mind? Well, like Aaron said, I, I that is not my expertise. However, I personally have a personal financial advisor um, with Edward Jones. And she's like, hey, what age do you want to retire? And she puts it in her you know, system. And we create my goal based off of the the year that I say, hey, this is the age that I would like to retire. And then we work backwards and say, okay, well, this is how much you have to save. Um, so I, I would just say, work with someone in that field, let them know what your goals are, and then they can help you prep. And we talked about this a little bit earlier in the show, but you know, how do you approach things with a client, Aaron, when it comes to first setting down and making that budget and, and figuring out like, how much am I thinking about retirement right now? And how much am I thinking about these bills of the moment? Yeah. So the, the first thing that I really try to encourage folks that are living pretty close to the edge that may not have a whole lot of flexibility, I encourage them to look at their workplace plan. If you are offered a match at work on your contributions, you should do your best to maximize the match because that's, it's, not really free money. It's money that you're working for. It's part of your salary and you're not getting it unless you put in money as well. So that's a big thing that I encourage people to do to maximize your retirement savings. If you feel like you just can't save, you know, at all, you can, you can afford a few bucks. If your employer matches that, then you're really on your way. So that's kind of the first step. If you just feel like you cannot save, see if your employer will match your dollars and try to put in 10, 20 bucks every payday. Our next question is from Carrie Sloan, and it's about tax season, which is just around the corner. How can you save me money on my taxes without going to jail? Now, Mr. Sloan wanted us to clarify, he's a retired CPA. He was joking about the whole going to jail thing, but... What kind of resources are available for Middle Tennesseans trying to get their taxes done? Well, I'll say um, United Way runs a VITA program, which stands for Volunteer Income Tax Assistance. And they have IRS trained and certified volunteers who can file income tax returns for free for any household that makes under $77,000. So there are lots of different VITA sites in Nashville. There are sites in surrounding counties where you can get your taxes done in person. There's also an online option. If you um, go to United Way's VITA website, you can enter all of your information and do your taxes online. So that's a great free resource um, for, you know, everyone in Nashville and surrounding. We got a tweet from Mendy Boyd who asks, quote, I just recently learned that Tennessee is number one in the nation for personal bankruptcy filings. And this is concerning. Another stat is that one in three adults in Tennessee have outstanding medical bills. It feels impossible to get ahead here. Is anyone addressing these issues? Candace? So I, I can speak to, so the medical piece I can't necessarily speak to, but the other part I can. Um, so I, I think 
people automatically go to bankruptcy because they don't know about debt resolution or calling your um, credit card billing company and saying, hey, I'm going through a hardship. Uh, that goes back to pride or shame or not feeling like, you know, they'll listen to me. And so calling calling the creditor and saying, hey, I'm going through a hardship. What do you offer for that? Uh, a lot of times they'll have zero interest for a certain amount of time um, and, and it'll allow you to catch up. The other piece is instead of going directly to uh, bankruptcy, you can actually ask uh, debt resolution companies to um, negotiate on your behalf to negotiate that debt down. So I would say those are two very good options. You know, we have touched on a lot of areas and folks might feel like they are full of concepts to just kind of juggle and keep straight. So for all of you, I'd like to know if you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would it be? Bill? Yeah. So, you know, as a director of the Tennessee Financial Literacy Commission running a, a 501c3 nonprofit, one of the best things that we're looking for is advocates who can reach out to their local schools uh, about adding in some financial literacy outreach uh, capabilities and also, you know, supporting financial education for youth who are going to be the next generation of parents in Tennessee with financial support. Aaron, what's that kind of nugget that you, you would tell folks to keep in mind? I guess what I would say is just to start talking about your situation. A lot of people live in just shame and silence about their finances, and that that really makes the situation worse. So start talking to family and friends. If you're not comfortable with that, come to talk to a financial counselor at the FEC and just start sorting through. Well, We've been talking this hour to Candace Harris, who's a vice president at Citizens Bank. Bill Parker directs the Tennessee Financial Literacy Commission. And Aaron Akery is senior manager of United Way's Financial Empowerment Center. Thanks, all of you, again, for being with us today. Thanks, Thanks so for much. having us. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, we're inviting community members to share their concerns about the $2.1 billion plan to build a new stadium for the Titans. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Jeff Magruder. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville, find us on Instagram, and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody.